Hey now, welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan, joined for this episode by two different people, one of which you've absolutely heard on the show before in Booster Greg. Hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> I thought if I spaced it out a little bit, it might sound different enough, but it just it just has that same not Rob Logan taste in my mouth. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, I hear you. Uh, and our other guest, is this your first time on the Geek Gen proper, Acorn? Yes, I think the only thing I've done was flip chart. Oh, wow. This is crazy. Acorn Bandit's here. Hi. Hey. Sorry, so if, uh, if you if you don't recognize their combined voices, they mm-hmm. are also the co-hosts on one of the newest podcasts on the Geek Gen Network, which is, wait, let me do this properly, Avatar the podcast yay there it goes <laughs> well done there we go that's also was, the proof that i listen actively so <laughs> was that just rob doing impression of me doing an impression of rob yes there yes, were many layers there were many layers <laughs> i love it uh so yeah if you're a fan of avatar the last airbender you can go to the geekgeneration.com slash avatar and go grab a listing link to check out their episode by episode rewatch of Avatar The Last Airbender. You guys are currently on like episode 12-ish. Yeah, we just released, I want to say we just released 12 and now I have to edit 13. Cool, cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so we're still in the early stages of it. So if you're a fan of Avatar, go check it out. Highly recommend. What we're doing today though is related in a way, even though somewhat different because we are going to be talking about animated shows. For this one, we're going to be counting down our top five original animated series prior to 2000. There's a lot of steps in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of details. Yes. So at first, my thought in doing this was let's do our top five favorite cartoons. Problem with that is I know me and I know Greg and we're going to overlap on the entire Bruce Tim universe and it's mm-hmm. going to be a boring episode. So mm-hmm. to further differentiate that, uh, we added a few caveats. So we said original animated series, meaning that we're not taking into account any show where there was a prior IP before the show existed. For example, if we're using Avatar The Last Airbender as an example, uh, that's an original IP because it's not based on anything. There's no comic book before it. There's no manga. There's no movie that it's adapted from. It is the first time those characters and that IP was used. Uh, And then to further go, because (laughs) there's a lot of time that we could have covered with all this, we said prior to 2000, just to make it a little more specific and so that we could do another episode in the future where we do after 2000. So those are the basic kind of bullet point rundown rules for those listening. Uh, We're going to start with our number fives. Booster Greg, what is your number five? Number five for me is going to be the hit I'm going to say state-of-the-art 3D animated show called Reboot. Ooh, good show, good show. Yes. So Reboot came out in 1994 and went up to 2001, believe it or not. It aired on YTV. Yeah, it was on for four seasons, and that was well past when I stopped watching it. I definitely watched seasons one, two, and maybe some of three. Uh, But the reason why I like it is it was the second... 3D animated television show that I had seen and the idea of it was just so mesmerizing for me. Mm. So for those of you who have never seen it, it's essentially I want to say like pre-Wreck-It Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph. So it's like (laughs) 
Yeah. Except okay. for video game characters, it's like, I don't know, if your computer had like an alive cellular system. So essentially like a, a megabyte was like something that could be alive, for example. Mm. So it's, it's these citizens that live in a computer um, and the hero is Bob. And they have these really cool ideas. Like if, you know, the, the computer's owner played a game, this giant cube would come down in the middle of the city and you'd get this like warning, like incoming game kind of like mm-hmm. thing. And they would just be in the game for a little bit. It's a lot like Tron. I was going to say it's very clearly yeah. inspired by. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. They actually did a reimagining of it called, I think it was the Guardian Code. They did they did a bunch of things with it post and it wasn't too great. Mm-hmm. But the original one I loved and it actually got me really interested in 3D animation. Mm. So it was like I, my interest was peaked with another show. And this one was just like, OK, this is clearly something doable. It's very interesting to see. In hindsight, it's terrible CGI, but it's also 1994 3D animation. Yeah. So like, what do you want? The ideas were there. It had that like starting off villain who had the deep voice and just kind of I love those villains. Those are like my favorite with the the henchmen all of that stuff and actually i'm looking at the wikipedia page right now dan didio did some work on season three. Oh no kidding yeah so cool stuff nice but that's that's my number five it was a big part of sunday mornings i had to wake up early on sunday mornings to catch this one and i always loved it i remember reboot as being one of the earlier things too that i saw that was computer animated and yeah in hindsight now it's pretty shoddy animation yeah. because it's not even like movie studio budget it's like tv budget cgi mm-hmm. but at the time it was so unique and so new that i was just like this is so different and amazing i was just kind of mesmerized by that alone oh yeah yeah it was new and shiny there was another one that's not on my list i think it was called like battle of the planets or battle planets or something mm-hmm. like that i know what you're talking about yeah th- there was that it was 3d and it was looked amazing but i never got into it because i was always like watching it and i thought it was either reboot or another show and it wasn't Mm. and i was like oh that's kind of (laughs) disappointing cool yeah acorn what's your number five i am so excited about this dynamic that we have here because i i think there's going to be some themes between the three of us interesting one of the themes that you'll see from me is i was definitely a nickelodeon kid okay so (laughs) my number five is the wild thornberries oh okay oh so good Yeah, um, I loved it because it was a really different premise from a lot of shows at the time. Because, of course, you have Eliza Thornberry, who's this little girl who gets the ability to speak to animals. And her dad is Nigel Thornberry, and he's a documentary maker. His wife and her mom make these documentaries together. And so they travel all over the world, Africa mostly, I believe, from what I remember. And um, it's just her adventures while her parents are off doing their thing, filming these uh, educational shows. She's off having these adventures with the animals that she can speak to. And all the characters are really fun. Her sister is the the typical dramatic teenager, the angsty teenager mm. who's like, oh, whatever. And they meet this um, this monkey, Darwin. She names him Darwin, of course, and puts him in like her sister's clothes. And so it's really fun. But <laughs> I really just remember enjoying it. And they had some, some good morals. And I think there was also this uh, environmental element there, obviously, like protecting different species it's informational you get to learn about these different oh, animals cool. and then also like kind of learn about the the world a little bit more i have not seen the wild thornberries but i've i'm familiar with the character of nigel thornberry just because he's popped up in memes here and there on the internet yes so, yeah 
Nigel Thornberry memes are just another level. They're so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Nigel Thornberry is just a different level, uh, especially like so Tim Curry did the voice of him, which is just oh, amazing. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. just got this like, I can't even do a proper impression. I'm not going to try it, but it's just this very distinct Tim Curry goofy kind of voice. And he's just so lovely of a, a character. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird that he's kind of the highlight of the whole show, considering he's not the main character, but. It is. He's like um, Steve Irwin, but like okay. if Steve Irwin was in Jumanji. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think they got some some Steve Irwin influences there in yeah. creating his character. But he is he's British, I believe. And so his uh, his whole approach as a character is just so funny, uh, kind of oblivious, but then also like very proper in a way. Mm. And Rob, since you haven't seen it, uh, his catchphrase is smashing. But of course, he goes, mmm, smashing. <laughs> I love it already. All right. Uh, my number five. This series began as an animated short that originally aired on MTV's Liquid Television in 1992. After that short, entitled Frog Baseball, creator Mike Judge was signed by MTV to develop it into a full series, which then went on to run for seven seasons from 1993 to 1997. It spawned a theatrical film that was released in 1996 and was revived for a single season in 2011. Like, it's so okay. much longer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before seemingly disappearing for good. However, recent news as of like this month has proven you can't keep two idiots down as Beavis and Butthead will return for oh two God. new seasons at Comedy Central. Oh, good. I knew that was going to be your one of yeah. yours. Yeah. Uh, Beavis and Butthead was a show that came out just like at the right time for me. I was leaving my teenage or early, early adolescent years and kind of had the attitude of not, I didn't have the attitude of Beavis and Butthead. I would never say I was like one of them because I had a moral compass and I wasn't a complete idiot. But <laughs> it was it was at the time where MTV was very, very cool. And then this animated show came along that kind of poked fun at the entire cool pop culture of it. So they they would have the the stories themselves, little segments of the stories throughout the episode. But then they'd also have segments where they're sitting on a couch and watching music videos. And sometimes they loved it and sometimes they made fun of it. And it was a nice integration into music television in that way. But I actually liked it better when it came back in 2011 because gone were the music videos and they were replaced with reality TV, something that didn't exist during the prior run. So they're adapting to the modern landscape and making fun of one of the things that's most relevant to our culture. But it's so easy to poke fun of it. It was a great transition. I'm very curious to see what the two newer seasons will do when they come out. If, if mm-hmm. I were doing it, I would do online broadcasting like Twitch, stuff like that. Get clips and have them make fun of that. I suppose they could. It would, I think it should be a nice combination of stuff like that and like yeah, the reality online. TV because there's still so much ridiculous reality TV out there. Maybe not even just Twitch, but like other content creation like TikTok, stuff like that. I think it would be really funny like, to see YouTube, stuff. see them go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, they could probably make that pretty cheap now, too, if they use Character Animator. I'm just saying, Mike Judge, I got ideas here to <laughs> help make your life a little easier. Just saying. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's going to get a reboot because I was never allowed to watch Beavis and Butthead because my parents thought it would rot my brain. So (laughs) (laughs) I know now that I'm older, it was more satire than anything else. You know, there's satirical elements to kind of create a discourse on American youth at the time. Mm -hmm. So 
I feel like if I watched it nowadays, I'd probably get more out of it than when I was a kid. And just, I remember actually my cousins were obsessed with it. Whenever we would go over to like family get togethers, they would be off in a room watching Beavis and Butthead. My mom would be like, don't watch that. (laughs) I feel like I had to sneak it a lot too, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of shows I had to sneak as a kid. Same. All right. Over to our number fours, Booster Greg. Dexter's Laboratory. Fucking great show. (laughs) I love this show. So a lot of the challenge for me on this was not choosing anything superhero related. Mm. Uh, So I had a really deep Mm -hmm. dive into everything. So Dexter's Laboratory for me was always superhero adjacent because of Dial M for Monkey. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was one of the big things. Um, It's just such a big part of cartoon watching for me is is a lot of... I never can pronounce uh, Gendy's last name correctly, but I'll... it. Yeah, I can't say that. I'm not wired to say that, but <laughs> yeah. So like a lot of his stuff uh, was really like Samurai Jack, Star Wars, Clone Wars, like stuff like that it was all just like a big part. Dexter's Laboratory was great because Dee Dee, particularly for me, I think it'll surprise no one that Dee Dee is one of my favorite characters just because how annoying she is and how <laughs> off the wall and classic animation. I remember like my number one memory from Dexter's Laboratory is Dexter's sitting there working on something on his computer very diligently and his sister's head just like pops up like in a impossible manner and just screams hi Dexter. Oh yeah, it could come from like the top right corner upside down like it doesn't matter. It was so perfect. Mm -hmm. It it was wonderful. It had a lot of good short segments in there. Mm. There was never a dull moment and it's super memorable from the character designs. Even his parents were very distinct for me. Which is not something you commonly see in animation. They usually just either like forget them in Avatar with Korra and uh, Korra with Katara and Sokka, or it's kind of like a weird mix. So this was one that did that really well. I thought I just love Dexter's voice so very yes. very yeah. much. I was going to say that. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> look like it should be coming out of that body. <laughs> no, no, it's so perfect. And also, you have like giant robots in here. You've mm-hmm. got superhero stuff. You have. I remember uh, an intergalactic wrestling episode. I think I that was a well. monkey one. Yep. That was so perfect. <laughs> it's it's just like if you can get as many like a medley of as many tropes as you can in one show and have it still make sense. You've won me over. Also, it this did help launch the career of Seth MacFarlane. So he worked on this mm-hmm. and he also worked on Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo is oh, not right. on my list, but Johnny yeah. Bravo is a little bit dated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched some clips and I was like, eh. they did also air it for a really long time on Cartoon Network, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dexter's Laboratory came out in. Uh, hold on, I have it on my phone. And you say laboratory? I laboratory. say laboratory. I say laboratory because he says laboratory. That's true. Yeah, he does. Yeah, nineteen ninety five is when that came out. Sweet. Yeah. Wow. Acorn, you're number four. My number four. Um, so. My number four also comes from Nickelodeon. <laughs> it was released in 1991 and ran through 1994. And I'm going to I'm going to give you a hint and see if you guys can uh, can guess. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew before <laughs> you even started singing. <laughs> I had a feeling. It's Doug. I love Doug. I think I love Doug because it's it's a show about just being awkward and being a teenager. Mm. And I really related to Doug because he would journal a lot. And I think my love for journaling as a kid kind of came from that. Because every show, 
he starts off by telling his journal about something that happened to him. And usually whatever was going on in the the episode related to something like um, friendships, romantic interests, um, having self-esteem issues, bullying and that kind of thing. I also like how how different the design of all the characters are, because mm. a lot of characters had just completely different colored skin, like green and blue. And so they really just uh, created visually a world that was very different from a lot of other uh, shows at the time. Skeeter was blue, right? He was like a bright blue. Yeah, like a, a greenish. Okay. I honestly greenish didn't watch turquoise. a whole lot of Doug. I saw a few episodes yeah. here and there, but not a ton. It's not that long. Oh, really? Yeah. I want to say it's yeah. like 50 episodes or something. And oh, so wow. when I was uh, preparing for this this podcast episode, I went, I went back and watched some of them. And within three seconds of an episode airing or the episode starting, I would recognize it. Mm. And from there, every single scene. So I'm thinking, okay, how many times have I actually seen these episodes as a kid? Probably a lot. Because <laughs> yeah. it was the same yeah. few just over and over again. Yes, exactly. Interesting. <laughs> There's um there's a really cool fan theory about so Doug has this neighbor who's like that he's best friends with essentially so it's kind of like the I don't know Wilson from Home Improvement kind of deal His yeah name is the Mr. Mr. Dink, Dink character uh-huh. Mr. Dink so and a lot of people are like that's kind of creepy like a, a forty to fifty year old man is just kind of like letting Doug into his shed and stuff like that there's an interesting fan theory that says that the Dinks had because he's married his wife is always around mm-hmm. oh got it kid that would have been about doug's age that died so that's why he's so attached to oh, Doug. Wow. he kind of yeah he kind of views him as like like a, like a replacement not a replacement that seems kind of messed up but like he's like letting out he's grieving through this process of helping doug get through his life because that's what he would have been doing with his own son mm-hmm. that's so interesting yeah. yeah when i was watching a couple of the the episodes mr dink made me uncomfortable and i can't remember why I didn't get it's too probably, far. It's probably because he's a 40-year-old man that's helping out yeah. a 13-year-old boy. That <laughs> couldn't be why. He's just really off the wall, too. Yeah. He's always inventing crazy gadgets. Yeah. Maybe it's a Doc Brown, Marty McFly thing, then. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very similar to that, yeah. Definitely similar themes, yeah. I, I would say, though, one of the most noteworthy parts of Doug is the beats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Killer tofu. I oh my god, Killer Tofu is such a banger. Go go listen Are to you? it on YouTube if it's been a while. Yep. <laughs> How exactly. do I? I never watched Doug. How do then I you know, know this stuff? Yeah, I do. <laughs> exactly. It's so good. All right. Uh, my number four. Mm-hmm. Even though its original run was only from 1991 to 1992, didn't mm. air originally that long, and yet somehow they still aired 91 episodes of the show. In that short time, uh, between Saturday mornings on ABC and the syndicated programming block, the Disney Afternoon. While most people believe it to be a spinoff of DuckTales due to shared characters like Launchpad McQuack and Gizmo Duck, show creator Tad Stones had said that the two shows exist in completely separate universes. An unassuming father living in the suburbs with his daughter Goslin, Drake Mallard is constantly at odds with his craving for fame and attention while still trying to be a good father and protect the citizens of St. Canard. He is <laughs> the terror that flaps in the night. He oh is God. Dark Wing Duck. That's so good. Such a good choice. I love this show uh, for very obvious reasons right away, as it is kind of like Disney's version of Batman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's heavily inspired by like Batman, Sandman, the Green Hornet, James Bond, the Shadow. It takes a lot of like genre parody 
and, and uses that throughout uh, most of its stories. Yeah. Oh, they even have a Dark Knight Returns parody episode mm. where he yeah, just has yeah. this giant like That's tank true. thing and he stops jaywalkers with it. That's his big. He's so like, <laughs> you will follow the law, the letter of the law to the T that he, he just goes overkill on stupid jaywalkers. And then I think I remember Darkwing Duck uh, kind of saw this and was like, geez. That's what I remember from this show. He's he's so over the top about these like very basic things. Mm-hmm. And so it was really fun to watch because he took his role. He took his job so seriously. Yeah. And a lot of it was initially for like, oh, I want the people of the city to appreciate me and I want to be famous yeah. for being a superhero. But like when in push came to shove, he always did the right thing and made the moral choice. And like he was a good yeah. father and all that stuff. Um, interesting trivia about the show. So originally it was developed as a show called Double O Duck, which was supposed to be mm. a parody of James Bond, obviously. Launchpad McQuack was supposed to be the lead character that was mm. like this kind of spy knockoff. But then they found out that Double O was actually a trademark thing. They couldn't use that in the name. Um. And uh, also in that version of the show, Scrooge McDuck was supposed to be a character called the Masked Mallard, which would be a superhero vigilante in a purple uniform and cape, which obviously became drake mallard mm-hmm. which and they even still refer to dw as the masked mallard every now and then yeah. throughout the show and that's kind of a leftover from the original idea that's really cool i i mm-hmm. kind of like the idea that ducktales and darkwing duck are the same continuity and like launchpad is literally moonlighting as as darkwing duck right <laughs> yeah it's so good yeah let's get dangerous and move on to number threes booster greg what is yours uh, if you get a little sugar and a little spice <laughs> and then everything nice, <laughs> you get the Powerpuff Girls. Oh, you're missing one ingredient. Oh, I'm missing. That's right. What was it? Chemical Chemical X. X. <laughs> Chemical <laughs> X. I also, I had, again, I told you guys this before. I had to go uh, super, superhero adjacent almost mm-hmm. because everything from my childhood was Spider-Man, X-Men, Batman, Superman. Those are all mm-hmm. out the window. Yep. This was wonderful because not only did it have a really interesting art style, very dynamic, very mm. simple, the characters were so over the top again. So like taking another page kind of out of uh, Dexter's laboratory, they just take it even further with like like Mojo Jojo. I Mojo love Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo. Best <laughs> character in the show by far. So good. And the mayor. I love the mayor too. Yeah. I like like little gags they put into like you never see the mayor's assistant's head yeah and the fact that she's well he's like two feet tall and i feel like she's like seven feet tall (laughs) which is also (laughs) wonderful this was actually the first at that time because it was 1998 when this came out Mm -hmm. this was the first quote-unquote girl show that like for me grabbed my attention because before it was always like yeah like i don't know my little pony is not quite for Mm -hmm. me I don't even remember what else there was at that point, but this was just like superheroes, comedy, awesome art style. Like you could literally see like their arms, cr- Powerpuff Girls arms crossed is just a figure eight sideways. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. so perfect. <laughs> it's so easy to animate. The voice acting was phenomenal. The stories were great. I even saw the movie in theaters and it was wonderful. Like there's nothing about the Powerpuff Girls that I dislike. And they even had the uh, the Rowdy Rough Boys. That was a really fun mm-hmm. episode. I love when they always do that. They have like the the anti Powerpuff, so it was just something that was made out of love. I remember when I got the Cartoon Network because it was pretty much this Dexter's Laboratory, Johnny Bravo, just like pretty much consistently on yeah. loop 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Courage the Cowardly Dog, all that kind of that stuff. That era of Cartoon Network is so amazing. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's so yeah, awesome. It is. When I wasn't watching Nickelodeon, I was yeah. watching those. <laughs> um, you, you can see that the care went into this show for sure. I mean, it ran for four years, 1998 to 2002. So if, if I could like, I don't know, if I could like ever just like work somehow on the Powerpuff Girls, that'd be great. That's like a personal dream of mine. But it's just... No, well, there's a modern incarnation. Yeah, I, knew, I haven't watched that yet. I don't want to because I'm afraid of it. I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I know that like if I don't like the current incarnation of the Powerpuff Girls, the old one still exists mm-hmm. and it shouldn't taint my perception of the old one. But that just happens to me. Yeah, I get mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. So Powerpuff Girls. Great show. Your number three. (laughs) My number three is about a detective agency run by two chipmunks. Mm. Uh, And of course, I'm referring to Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Oh, yeah. I loved that show. The characters were so fun. Obviously, um, the the inspiration, of course, for Chip is based on Indiana Jones, Mm -hmm. which is great. Mm Because he has that fedora and the bomber jacket. And then Dale, of course, is the the more goofy of the duo with the Hawaiian shirt, kind of reminiscent of Magnum P.I. Oh, yeah. And then Monterey Jack, who is just goofy and his cheese addiction. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) His cheese addiction is so good. And then Gadget Hackwrench, who might be one of the most interesting female characters in animated kids shows because she's incredibly brilliant. Mm -hmm an inventor and also kind of socially awkward, which I love. So she's super brainy, but then she's, you know, she's brainy, she's beautiful, but then also a little socially awkward. And the two Chip and Dale have crushes on her, but she's just oblivious because she's <laughs> so busy inventing things and saving the day. Yeah. yeah and then of course, Zipper, the little housefly. Uh, so fun. But mm. I loved that show because not only the the mysteries that they solved, but also the way that they did it, because of course they're chipmunks mm-hmm. and mouse sizes. So they're very mm-hmm. small and seeing the way that uh, Gadget would invent things with like bottles and balloons and uh, little suction cup darts and stuff like that. It's so inventive. It makes me wonder what the production looked like. It was like they added a little taste of MacGyver into the all the other ideas yeah. that they were borrowing from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't realize it aired so long ago. It aired in March 1989 and ran through November 1990. Oh, so wow. it was... It was a long time ago. I want to say Disney Channel would or Disney Channel aired them again because I feel like I saw them more recently, like in the 90s. Yeah. But I didn't realize it was that old. And I have a really crazy off the wall piece of trivia. Please. About this show. Like you're not going to believe this when you hear it. Hit me. Apparently, there is a Russian cult based around Gadget Hackwrench. What? I'm going to let that sink in. What? I don't know if I want that to sink in. I know. (laughs) I know. I'm actively trying to get it to not sink wow. in right now. That's I know. Crazy. It's a full-blown thing. Gadget is apparently, to them, the symbol of perfection, feminine perfection. And one day, Gadget will, I think the light of Gadget will save the world or something. It's crazy. There's a whole Medium article about it. You can read a couple different uh, publications where they explore it. But like, it's full-blown. Like, There's traditional Gadgetology. There's progressive gadgetology what and there's the? apocalyptic gadgetology, and each sect believes something different based around so gadget. So part of their perfect formula doesn't include human. <laughs> yeah, I guess apparently it does. She's like anthropomorphite. 
promote yeah, Bob and not going to work here anymore. I'll tell you that. Anthropomorphized. <laughs> <laughs> big yeah. word, too big word for Greg. Yeah, she's she's a biped. So yeah, yeah. I do think her adorable, pretty qualities are definitely part of the the image here. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I just I just looked it up to refresh my memory. But yeah, apparently her admirers say that she is the light bringer and she is the embodiment of all virtues on earth. And only her image helps them in difficult times because her her cuteness is unparalleled in humans. Like you can't have that level of perfection, cuteness, intelligence, femininity in like a real person. And so that's yeah. what they're. All right. Well, I'm properly terrified. Is. So <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, Chip and Dale's a great show, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my number three. During the animation renaissance of the early 1990s, Warner Brothers Animation teamed up with Hollywood icon Steven Spielberg to create several animated productions, the first of which was Tiny Toon Adventures. The second, however, ran from 1995 to 1998 as part of the Kids WB Afternoon Programming Block. It was essentially an animated variety show with a large cast of characters that often featured three independent main skits, with short segments between them. The hosts slash main characters of the show were three siblings that lived in a water tower on the WB studio lot in Burbank, California. <laughs> the introductory premise of Animaniacs featured these siblings, the Warner Kids, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, escaping from that water tower they'd been locked in since the 1930s and causing chaos for everyone at the studio. This show is still so good if you go back and watch it. Nothing... Nothing has ruined it. It's so freaking good. I love that in the 1930s, they didn't know what to do with ADHD kids, mm-hmm. so they just locked them in a water tower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's social commentary there. Oh, yeah, very so accurate. Great. And there, yeah. there is a ridiculously big cast of characters on this. Segments on the show included things like Pinky and the Brain, which, of course, became its yeah. own spinoff at yeah. one point. Uh, the Good Feathers, Bobby Pesto and Squit, Slappy and Skippy Squirrel. Rita mm. and Runt, Buttons and Mindy, Chicken Boo, um, Colin, which is apparently the name of the Randy Beeman kid. Oh, huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. uh, the Good Idea, Bad Idea segments. I forgot about oh, that, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. There was oh, man. so much good stuff in this show that I've, like, forgotten. <laughs> because yeah. when I think of it, I think of Yakko, Wakko, and Dot, Pinky in the Brain, Good Feathers, kind of the big mm-hmm. ones. Did you guys yeah. have personal favorites as far as, like, these segments went? Pinky in the brain for me. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, it was a big one too. And now like in hindsight, Buttons and Mindy, because it's literally Mr. Magoo. If Mr. Magoo had a guardian angel. Oh, absolutely. That's what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think I just liked the crossovers, like how they, they were affiliated with the Tiny Toon Mm -hmm. adventures and just how there's, it was almost like, um, it was almost like a WB commentary show because there were just so many influences. It's like, you never knew, never knew what you were going to see that episode. Yeah. I thought it was funny, too, how often they would bring in like celebrity impressions and make references to things that I was way too young to even know what they were talking about. It was like they were doing it for themselves and they were so amused with what they were doing. (laughs) And I kind of love that idea. But now going back and watching it and picking up on all those little references and all those uh, impressions and stuff like that, there's like a whole other layer to the show that I never got when I was younger. And it's so much fun to go back now and check it out. I mean, you have to imagine they probably had minimal supervision yeah. from like studio execs, so, like Animaniacs, whatever. That's not one of our main whatevers. So yeah, do whatever. It's like, okay, yeah. we're just going to make jokes until someone tells us to stop making jokes. Pretty much. 
Yeah. And that's another show, too, that is apparently a strong enough fan base to where it is coming back as well. I believe they have a two season order coming up for a reboot wow. of the show also. Very cool. Yeah. Number twos, Booster Greg. This is where I'm cheating a little bit. Oh, boy. I'm ready. A lot Go of it. Ahead. And he, so here, here's why. Here, here. <laughs> okay. It is based off of a comic. Okay. Big guy and Rusty the boy robot. Mm. The reason why I think I can get away with it is because these are the only toothed books that were ever created. Oh, wow. It. It's two issues, period. All they do is big guy and Rusty fight giant monsters and save the day. That's all they That's do. A pretty simple premise. Yes. Uh, the cartoon, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, went on for 26 episodes. It introduced mm. a whole bunch of new content and new ideas. They still fight giant robots, giant monsters, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the whole premise is uh, back oh, probably 10, 20 years ago, there was almost like a race to the moon, but to build an artificial intelligence, build a robot that can defend the country. Oh, wow. America won with big guy. So everyone else kind of like was, it's kind of like the Iron Man from Iron Man 2 situation where he was the first to build it. Everyone's just been trying to build him, but can't quite do it. Mm -hmm. It was that. So mm -hmm. everyone kind of, he was a nuclear deterrent. Everyone kind of let it go, except they didn't actually build a giant robot oh. that was self-sufficient. There's a pilot inside who is voiced by Jim Hanks. But this is a big government secret that no one in the world knows except for a select few generals. Mm -hmm. So it's this big thing. He was decommissioned for a while because there was peace in America, at least. Bring it to current time. A nuclear scientist builds a boy robot named Rusty. He's completely self-sufficient. He is artificial intelligence, all of that. She builds him to look up to Big Guy as a role model because Big Guy is like the Superman or Captain America, okay. if you will. Always. He, he has these really bad like for America. And he says like Lincoln's beard and like stupid <laughs> things like that. Like very Ron Burgundy. Yeah, okay. Right. Uh, but he's over the top cheesy. I'm um, like what you think an American Patriot superhero would be. She did not know, obviously, that Big Guy is a fake. So what they had to do is they had to bring Big Guy out of commission so Rusty could pal around with him and learned what it takes to be a hero. So they brought back his original pilot and stuff like oh, that. Wow. There are a lot of really cool references and nods to other movies. There's like a, a Silence of the Lambs episode where they have a villain that has been a huge um, pain for them locked in a cage. And Rusty has to kind of like work around and like get in info from him and work it in the real world and stuff mm. like that. Very interesting. There are scenes where Rusty's just talking to the suit and not realizing that he's not <laughs> on. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like strong and silent type. And he kind of like That's works funny. around it that way. But yeah, this is why I think I can cheat enough with it, because while it's based on characters from the comic, mm -hmm. the only thing they pull from the comic are the big fights. That's it. There's okay. a whole plot and a whole extra 24 episodes of just stuff. I'll allow so. it. <laughs> okay i was like rob i'm kind of cheating he goes all right i might make fun of you and i was like that's fair but i feel like oh, i have like, right. a strong case <laughs> also i did name one of my dogs after rest oh so i didn't even realize that. that's where it yeah. comes from yeah that's where it comes from he is also part red healer so he looks rusty mm -hmm. but yeah i love big guy and rusty the boy robot it was one of my favorite cartoons from childhood they also did the same thing they did an evil version of rusty in in the show so again if you have like an evil shadow version of a hero i'm there i'm for it <laughs> yeah i do not remember that at all i don't think i ever saw i never it. saw it either i've heard of it but i've never seen it yeah yeah visually 
of course, it reminds me of the Iron Giant, mm-hmm. but yep. that's about it. That's the yep. closest there is. Yeah, he's not as big as Iron Giant. He's he, I would okay. say he's he's probably like in between Iron Giant and the Hulk. He's not like super large, mm-hmm. but he's like he's uh, maybe like 12, 13 feet, something like that. But he's big enough. Uh, it did come out in 1999. So it's right on that cusp mm-hmm. right there. Cool. So, yeah. Acorn, your number two. Yeah, my number two is, again, Nickelodeon-based, <laughs> and it is a show about a group of characters who see the world uniquely from their perspective, and that perspective is very close to the ground. This, of course, is Rugrats. Oh! <laughs> I was going to say Rugrats. I was yeah. going to say Rugrats is just a troll, and I was going to keep on yelling Nicktoons until he said, yeah, Greg, but Rugrats was my first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I didn't know this, but Rugrats was formed by a husband and wife duo, Gabor, I don't know how to say this, Supo and Arlene Klasky, and Paul Germain in 1989. Oh it God. ran for a lot of years, and I think they they actually got some critical acclaim for doing a couple special episodes around Jewish holidays. So they had a, an episode about the Passover and another episode about Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. But of course, what made it really fun to watch is the different layers of perspectives in the show, because their parents, every every baby in the series had a set of parents that you got to know throughout the series. And so there's a lot of adult commentary about being a parent and trying to get support like Dr. Lipschitz is this big entity in the series because he's like <laughs> yeah, a remember. an advice person on child development. And so Dee Dee Pickles, one of the the parents of Tommy, the main protagonist, I would say, mm-hmm. she she gets a lot of advice from him and talks about his, you know, the best way to raise a kid with Stu. And um, <laughs> Lipschitz says Lipschitz shits. Yeah. <laughs> he says I, I love that. That's also his name because it's just like. It's just completely he just it's just like absolute garbage coming out of his mouth is what they imply with his name alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. He's obviously like a hack. He's just, yeah. you know, in it for the money and, and gives like general advice or something. Yeah. But I love how because they're toddlers, everything is formed from their perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's everyday stuff, but through their eyes. So getting out of a playpen turns into this huge adventure. And a lot of it is based on imagination. And there's there's one episode in particular that I will never forget. And it's a Mad Max based episode. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? No. Describe it if you can, because I've okay. probably seen it. I remember I liked Rugrats a lot. So I watched a lot of that. That episode was called The Sky is Falling. OK. Mm-hmm. And it's a story where and everything is imagined, of course, but it it plays out in their backyard And Chucky is fascinated by the sky. And so it turns into this, what if the sky fell? What if the sky just broke apart and fell to the ground? What would happen then? And the whole cast gets involved in this this drama. And it turns into like, we would rule the world. We would ride across the landscape and go anywhere we want and take anything that we want. And (laughs) it's this, it's insane. It's so good. It's like their version of a dystopian society. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Yes, exactly. They go to this toy palace in their like apocalyptic vehicles that they form and build together. And they're like wearing shoes on their heads. And Angelica has like coattails and like a cane and like a top hat. And so it's um it's so good. But most of the episode is kind of played out with these 
crazy visuals. Like one of those scenes where they're going to the palace, they go they go across this like deserted landscape mm-hmm. and there's pieces of the sky sticking out of the ground. Oh, wow. And so the sky itself is this beige color. But yeah, I just I love it for all those reasons. They very creatively imagine these normal situations into these like huge epic adventures. And then of course the the whole side story with the parents is fun too because Stu is this struggling inventor and it's cool now to look back at it and go, "Oh, I see what they did. Tommy is super uh, ingenuitive and he builds things in the moment to get into like these adventures dad. and it's like of course yeah. he's just like his dad yeah that is cool yeah. that's a show that i'd be curious to watch now because i don't i don't think i really yeah. have since i originally watched it i remember it being good but mm-hmm. i imagine it would take on a completely different tone and perspective for me as an adult that's especially been working with kids for over a decade to true. like think yeah, about true. how they think about things yeah. yeah. I also like when you said Acorn that it was a husband and wife kind of duo. Uh, that kind of got me to thinking like, I wonder if Stu and Dee Dee are based on themselves. Because if you think about like animation, maybe at that point, I remember watching like a, an interview with Seth MacFarlane about how he came up with Family Guy and he's literally yeah. drawing and animating on his kitchen table. So like Stu is always in the basement like inventing. So I wonder if that's just like in in the real world he's just in the basement drawing up a storm coming up with like ideas or something like that like that just kind of dawned on me that must that might be really cool that's the case i wonder i think uh i think a lot of their experiences informed this the story but i don't know how much but i do know it was a hit because rugrats aired for so long Mm. they had two spinoff movies that i Mm. know of rugrats in paris and then also rugrats all grown up which was like a special edition they had Three movies, I think. I think there was just Rugrats the movie, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. Rugrats the movie. Movie. Rugrats, Rugrats in, Paris. in Paris. Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries had a movie together, if I remember oh, correctly. Oh, wow. That's right. Mm-hmm. I vaguely mm-hmm. remember that. Yep. And, yeah. and then yeah. Rugrats all grow up. Yeah. I love that, too, by the way. Me, too. Where, like, the show, I remember being fine, but I like the idea of, like, oh, these babies, like, what were they like? Like, if we were to follow them throughout everything, what would they be like now? And they actually, it was like, I don't remember how many years difference, but that was what they actually chose oh, wow. between mm-hmm. the two shows. So it was yeah. really cool. Yeah. And character development too with Angelica. Oh yeah. She used to be the biggest bully to them. And then she grew up to be like their protector almost. Yeah. Which was really interesting. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number two is hailed as one of the most ambitious Disney animation projects in history due to taking a darker edge and targeting an older demographic. The series aired from 1994 to 1997 with a total of 78 episodes. The series is known for its complex story arcs, drama, and characters, which as it progressed incorporated elements from medieval Scottish history, the King Arthur mythos, Norse mythology, and the works of William Shakespeare. I know what this is. I know what it is too. 1,000 years ago, superstition <laughs> and the sword ruled. It was a time of darkness. It was a world fear. It was the age of gargoyles. Of gargoyles! Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gargoyles sticks in my mind in so many different ways because of the world building that they did. Like, you don't see Disney characters in this, even though it was created Mm -hmm. by Disney. Uh, And it it was right around the era of Batman the Animated Series when when people were allowed to start making darker, more adult-oriented cartoons, even if they were still kind of for kids in a way, but like slightly older. 
Um, they tackled a lot of big issues in this. They did one episode specifically on gun violence where they didn't shy away from like showing the wound itself. And like oh, wow. uh, one of the victims is a main character in the story. I, I think it's actually um, it's Broadway that picks up like uh, Elisa's gun and like accidentally shoots her. And that's like Jeez. the whole the whole episode is like an exploration of that and like why guns are not toys and like all that stuff. So it's they they didn't shy away from a lot of topics like that. But as it goes on and things get more and more fantastical because it starts off as they're just kind of the mythological creatures in New York City. But then the world keeps expanding from that to the point where like we're on the island of Avalon with like characters from Shakespeare and mythology and like, I don't know. There's oh. so many influences. The show had to me actually mm -hmm. my, um, my wrestling character that I had at one point, uh, when I was the night angel, my mask is a black half mask with three red slashes on it, which is a direct reference to the character of the hunter from gargoyles who wears a full face black mask with three oh, gargoyle yeah. slashes that were caused oh, by so Demona good. on his mask as well. So, it's it's influenced a lot of stuff and it's one of those shows I've wanted to go back to for a long, long time and completely yeah. rewatch it because I feel like I would appreciate it even more now than I did then. Yeah. Absolutely. Me too. That's one that's been on my list for a while, especially with all of these new streaming services coming out that allow you to go back and, and rewatch mm -hmm. all these old shows. I remember loving it and being just enchanted by it. But again, it was kind of on the border. My, I don't think my parents liked me watching it, so I wasn't able to. So I didn't even know that it got to that point where they went to Avalon and they had all these these influences. I only remember them being in the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So cool. That was one of those shows where I watched some episodes, but I got so aggravated because anything that had an episode order that you had to watch in any sort of like coherent singular yeah, story too. it was impossible to watch back then absolutely like you had to be at your tv at 4 p.m at a specific day and like you were lucky if it wasn't a repeat yeah that kind of mm -hmm. thing and the airing frequency gargoyles had new episodes multiple times a week so it's not like oh, yeah. they were once a week oh no show. wonder yeah okay yeah so I, I had a really hard time i remember uh the only thing i really remember other than the first episode of gargoyles was I think it was Goliath is on this boat just surrounded by mist and he's going through this journey. And I feel like it was a flashback episode. Sounds like season about three, it. honestly. So Probably. here's the weird thing with Gargoyles is the first two seasons aired during the Disney afternoon programming block that a lot of the other shows that are Disney, like Chippendale, Darkwing Duck, they were all kind of part yeah. of that group. Uh, the third season moved to ABC Saturday mornings and was titled The Goliath Chronicles. However, oh, yeah. the uh, series creator Greg Weissman was not affiliated with the third season like he wasn't a part of it whatsoever. So it's largely considered non-canonical by fans. And because the show went into a comic series afterwards, the comic uh, writers have even disavowed that season. They're like, it just it doesn't fit with everything else. Yeah. It was like kind of ridiculous and dumb and just didn't work with the rest that. of the show. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people just so kind of ignore that. But then, of course, the other thing Fair. for me as such a huge Star Trek fan uh, many of the actors from Star Trek did provide their voices to characters in the series, most notably Jonathan Frakes, uh, who was Commander William T. Riker on Next Gen, provided the voice of David Xanatos. Xanatos. And Marina Sirtis, who was Counselor Troy in Next Gen, was Demona, the gargoyle. So, um, yeah. And there were others, too, like um, LeVar Burton comes in at one point. Michael Dorn comes in at one point. Brent Spiner comes in at one point. Nichelle Nichols from the wow. original Star Trek comes in at one point. There's a lot of voices just 
I don't know why I've never really looked deeply into it, but it just kind of happened. And it was one more thing about the show that I absolutely adored. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I need to go back and just rewatch it. If only someone would do a podcast episode by episode. <laughs> so I had an excuse to just not fall off if on only. it. only. I've been teasing this for a long time. And it's, nudge, it's, nudge. I know it's, it's, it's one of those projects. <laughs> as soon as I have time for it, this is the next podcast on my to-do list for yeah. sure. I love it. Yeah. Make sure it does not leave that list. Yes. Uh, I'm shocked that at this point we have had absolutely no crossover and we might make it too. through the whole episode without one as we move into our number ones, Booster Greg. Feeling good about this one. So this one, I ran the idea past Rob to make sure it wasn't breaking any rules like Big Guy and Rusty blatantly did, but I can get away with it. This one is based on an existing IP, but it was a toy beforehand. It came out in 1996. And anyone who's seen the show might know the tagline, which is, that's just prime. I'm talking about Beast Wars, the spinoff oh, of Transformers. Oh. I did not know that tagline. <laughs> you didn't know that? Oh, man, that's great. I loved, I loved Beast Wars. So I talked about with uh, Reboot that that was one of the shows that got me into 3D animation. Mm -hmm. There was one that was before that that kind of like ticked me a little bit. That would be this okay. one, Beast Wars. I was not big into Transformers as a kid because I grew up in the 90s, essentially. And Beast Wars or in Transformers was 85, 86 yeah. up, right? So when I was a kid and I could remember things, <laughs> Transformers was getting re-released, essentially. And that was about it. Beast Wars was the official first 3d animation thing i remember really striking my fancy and the fact that it was transformers but it was a story that i could start with was amazing it had fantastic character development mm -hmm. um they had the character dinobot who was a uh, predacon who was the the decepticons essentially mm -hmm. of this universe the mac who turns maximal who's an autobot and then dies defending the maximals only to be brought mm -hmm. back towards the end by the uh predacons and as like this zombie hybrid, like assassin thing for Dinobot, who still has some of his memories like clanking around in there. So he fights against his program. Weird. It's so cool. So in this world, they need to go into beast mode is what they call their, I don't know, beast mode. You can figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> they need to go in it because there's just so much energy around that. If they're not in their animal form, they will short circuit. Oh, wow. Just die. Okay. There's Whoa. too much energy going on. So they crash land on this planet that has like two or three moons. They did it while chasing Megatron. And they just kind of like they can live in their bases in robot form because those are shielded. But once they go out and they need to get stuff like that's when they have to go in and out. So they had this like almost like ticking time limit of action that they could do throughout the episode. And then there would be one of the, like like Spider-Man in the 90s where he just run out of like webbing yeah. every once in a while. It was that kind of fear of like, oh, my God, I'm like this guy. Megatron's coming at me. He just turned into robot form. I'm just need to go back into like my rat form. I'm screwed. This is the worst thing to have ever happened. It turns out that I'm going to spoil it all because I can't help myself. Also, it came out in 1999 so, or 96. <laughs> so it's been a very long time. Uh, it turns out that they're actually descendants of the Autobots. So the, this takes place in the future. And when they are chasing Megatron, they go into a black hole that brings them to primal Earth. Huh. So oh, they wow. actually find Optimus Prime, like when he crashed, landed That's on Earth crazy. before he got re reawakened. Is that like the grand reveal? 
at the it's end. like it's yeah it's like towards the end and they, they're like on transmetal two because they had to sell so many toys so they had like <laughs> their base form they had transmetal one which just looked like robot animals so like grimlock they look more like him than anything okay. else and then huh. they do a transmetal two which looks like if you were to cybernetically enhance actual animals oh. and combine them with other animals and then they had um they had ones that were combinations so they had silverbolt and he was part wolf part eagle essentially hmm. so they had all these different toys all these really cool ideas and they explained why these toys exist versus just being like here's a toy have fun kids so like hmm. the combination ones where they were scanning for animals and their scanners broke so they thought two animals were actually one animal and the computer tried to just mash them together and have it make sense i love i like you can tell i'm talking about butter for a very 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 <laughs> long time i loved this it was uh, also megatron had that classic like deeper voice in this because he wasn't the Megatron. Right. He was just a descendant of Megatron. It had Gary Chaka's Optimus Primal, and he actually did G1 Megatron voice because G1 Megatron actually shows up in it. You had so many like like just good characters in this. It was great. If you ever the animation does not hold up, not even a little <laughs> bit. But I'm seeing that from the thumbnails. Yeah, if you have the chance, <laughs> just the story alone, like Dinobot in this is a ronin samurai essentially like he betrays oh. everything he knows about and if he thinks is true for uh like he kind of has an inner struggle and that's when he goes to the maximals and he costs him his life it's crazy it's very poetic. i know the show has a strong very fan intense. base i've never yeah. i've never like watched it extensively but yeah it yeah, was same. they have a lot of funny moments too like there's a character named waspinator who just dies all the time <laughs> and so like he like you just he's like the Kenny okay. of this essentially, right? <laughs> so he just always gets blown up. He never gets an advanced form ever. He's just always the one form and he's useless. Mm -hmm. He's useless in the beginning. It looks like Yamcha. I don't want to call Yamcha useless, but he's Yamcha. Okay. And then he just they go through and nothing happens. And one of the episodes, it's revealed that Rat Trap, one of the other characters on the Maximals, just collects Waspinator parts when he explodes. He just like takes a head or an arm or whatever, and he just has a collection so of Waspinator parts. Oh my god. It's so weird. It's so good though. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> While I haven't seen that, I definitely identify with the era of storytelling that it comes from because it's reminding me of elements of Power Rangers and yeah. Animorphs and, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Acorn, you're number one. My number one, keeping to my Nickelodeon origin, <laughs> is uh, kind of like Doug, but even more hardcore. It's it tackles a lot of really hard topics, but in a way that will help kids cope. And it takes place in a fictional city. And this is Hey Arnold. That's a good one. That's a great one. It's it's so good. I remember watching that show and really getting so sucked into the storytelling because they would cover some really tough situations. Like you have your usual stuff like bullying, uh, but then you also have things like poverty and abandonment. And going back to this show as an, as an adult now, it's so fascinating to see just how much complexity is was written into the characters. Like Helga, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know her as the one who's head over heels in love with Arnold, but who abuses him every day. Well, when you think about it, her mom is an alcoholic and her dad is like a control freak. And so she doesn't get the affection that she needs at home. So even though she is in love with Arnold, she can't show him affection because she wasn't taught that. And then Arnold, even though he lost his parents and he is at times very depressed about that and it has a huge impact on his life, I can't remember any other character 
that is as optimistic, supportive, sees the good in things, and is like a very chill character. Can you? I honestly have never no. seen an episode of Hey Arnold, so <laughs> I just know oh it as God. the show with the kid with the football head. Yeah, 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 basically. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. No, it, it's it's very good. It has a very well-rounded cast, too. They, they have episodes yes. where, like, don't revolve around Arnold necessarily. So there's one with <laughs> Mr. Kakashka. Mr. Kakashka <laughs> is uh, one of the tenants that live uh, with Arnold and his grandparents. Yeah, and, um, in a boarding he house. Can't, he can't read. Mm. So Arnold teaches him to read. So what he does is he kind of brings him to the subway and is just like, all right. Here, I've taught you how to read. Now we're going to see if it works. And he, I just felt so bad for Mr. Kakashka. I know. Because he's such a sweet old, like, I don't, he's not Russian. He's probably like. I think he's Polish. Polish. Yeah. He's a sweet, like, middle-aged Polish man who's just very helpless. And like, he's always like, but Susie, my meatballs. I need to get my meatballs. And it's just, yeah. he's so good. Like, And it, it's great. It's funny that it's, it's just called Hey Arnold, because you think Arnold would be the main character. And there's. I think my favorite episodes don't have much to do with him. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you're right. The The complexity, like I said, of the characters and the different side stories are really what make it such a compelling show because to touch on one of the other boarders at Arnold's house, I think he's named Mr. Wynn and he's a Vietnamese man whose backstory is he lost his daughter, but the way he lost his daughter is he gave her up to the U.S. troops during the Vietnam War. And so there's this flashback scene where he's handing his child up to oh a helicopter with U.S. soldiers. And one of the episodes is Helga does, I think, it's been a while, Helga does a nice thing for Arnold without him realizing because he was concerned about Mr. Wynn. And so Mr. Wynn's daughter was brought to him for Christmas. Mm. And that was his Christmas present. He was reunited oh, with his wow. daughter as a teenager. Yeah. And so it's like, it's stuff like that. And then Stoop, Stoop guy, Stoop, stoop man. kid. Stoop, stoop kid, kid. afraid Thank to you. leave a stoop. Yeah, stoop kids afraid to leave stoop. <laughs> he was this baby who was abandoned on a stoop in the inner city and he grew up there. He can't read. Well, I guess he can read. He no, he taught himself how to read. And he literally lives off of his stoop. He showers with a hose, he eats apples from an apple tree nearby, and all of the kids know him as Stoop Kid because he he lives on his stoop and he yells at everyone walking past because they're getting too close to a stoop. But then when you think about it, the reason he is the way he is is because the only thing he can implicitly trust is his stoop. Mm. He doesn't trust mm -hmm. any other person. And so it's like crap like that, that it's like, oh my God, it's emotionally overwhelming. But I think it's really important to have shows like that that tackle these topics. And like I said before, Doug's kind of the light version because it talks about yeah. like acceptance and navigating a crush and, you know, things like that. This is like all of the the really real mm. stuff. Like, mm. what is it like to know someone who's poor? What's the effects of abuse and bullying and things like that? So as a kid, I think it helped me kind of understand that there are heavy things in the world. But then through Arnold's positivity and like love and acceptance of everyone. I mean, Helga actively abuses him verbally and he's just like, all right, Helga. <laughs> And then they end up falling in love in the end because he he sees the good in her. And it's like, I yeah. need more themes like that in mm. life. He also, Arnold's room, I credit to the, I, to the idea of the smart home, I feel like, the modern interpretation of the smart home. It does have he, that because his bed folds out of the wall. and He had a remote control for everything. Like, yeah. it was great. He would walk in and he would just have this, like, dark room. He'd, like, press a couple buttons. His bed would fold out. The lights would turn on. He had a disco ball. Like, all this crazy. The music would turn on. Like, he just had the mm -hmm. coolest room ever 
So cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my number one. All right. Speaking of a show dealing with difficult topics, we move to my number one. While the bulk of the show has aired after 2000, because it's actually still running, it premiered on August 13th, 1997. It's received multiple awards, including five primetime Emmys and a Peabody Award. The show's popularity also resulted in a feature-length theatrical film, which was released in June of 1999, less than two years after the show's premiere, and was nominated for an Academy Award. Its origin goes back to 1992, where two film students created an animated short entitled The Spirit of Christmas, using stop-motion construction paper cutouts. In 1995, a mutual friend and Fox Broadcasting exec commissioned the two to create a second short film in the same style as a video Christmas card. When the executive sent the finished film to his friends, it was copied and distributed everywhere, including the internet, where it became one of the first viral videos. As the video became more popular, its creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone developed the short into a television series about four children residing in the fictional Colorado town of South Park. Oh, yeah. I didn't get it until the very end. I was like, what is yep. this? No, at first I was like, Family Guy? Simpsons? No, movie. <laughs> and, then, and then you were like, construction paper. I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is yep. now. South Park, uh, having run for 23 seasons so far, I know. And as far as we know, wow. is still going, is it's a huge feat in animation and what it's done culturally. Uh, for me, mm -hmm. the show has had a tremendous impact on just the way that it approaches topics in not a serious way uh, whatsoever, but it, it shows that there's also space for like poop and fart jokes, but also massive cultural commentary and analysis and mm -hmm. it's it's done so much like i i always think of personally because one of my big things i like to argue about people with is language and south park <laughs> has the episode where they said shit 162 times in one episode <laughs> after like one show got criticized for using it once and they were just like okay so they put a counter on the screen and every time that a character said shit, the counter would tick. And they did 162 times in one 22 minute episode. Wow. And we're just like, yeah, OK, now just anybody point, can do whatever right? they want. We did this now. So we just we just yeah. changed the rules, basically. And, and the thing is, like shows on cable, we're always allowed to do that. It's a word that's mm. been allowed to say on cable, but everyone's still mm -hmm. kind of shied away from it in South Park's like, OK, that rule's done. Like now, now it's go <laughs> ahead, do whatever you want now, because we've done this. You're welcome. A lot of yeah. things feel like that is the way South Park kind of leads the charge is like, we're going to do this so that other people can do what they want now. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Which is really like a fearless approach to pop culture, because oftentimes when you do something that's not perceived as acceptable, you get like publicly like Canceled. burned alive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> canceled yeah. yeah you get canceled yeah yeah and they've taken tremendous risks like even things for us that don't seem like a big deal but they depicted a visualization of the prophet muhammad which is something you are not supposed to oh, do yeah. uh, and they that. receive death threats at the suit like they do stuff like that all the time as basically a way of saying people are being silly about silly things yeah. so we're just gonna kind of throw silliness into the mix and we're gonna come at silliness with other silliness and just to prove how silly things are. But one of the other things that South Park is very, very uh, good about is being topically relevant. 
So if you've never yeah. seen the uh, documentary called Six Days to Air, The Making of South Park, it shows you the full process of what it takes for them to put together an episode and that they literally can turn around an entire episode in six days. So sometimes, like as soon as an episode airs, they get something in the news that just popped up that's like a big cultural thing now. And they're just like, we can do this for next week's episode. And they do. Yeah. And it's insane. Yeah. That's a huge feat of writing. Yeah. And the fact that they can do all the animation, like everything within mm -hmm. a six day turnaround, it's mm -hmm. unbelievable. But I think it's why the show persists. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It can be relevant when it's relevant, not just wait for the next season or anything. I, I agree. Um, this Simpsons and Family Guy were on my longer list, mm -hmm. but South Park I took off because I don't watch enough of it. Like I recognize it for being on for a very long time. It's production schedule. Yeah. It's genius in writing and courage in terms of just like bashing through like topical issues and just saying like, this is how we feel about it. You have, you're being kind of silly about this, all of that. But I've only seen like maybe 30 oh, episodes wow. okay. in total. And that's about it. So yeah. I was I like, want to say I'm yeah. around there, too. I have not missed an episode in 23 seasons. So <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it, I love it. It's such a good show. And it's so smart. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love it. Those are our lists. Uh, we can mm -hmm. do some brief rundowns of things that I'm still I'm shocked we had no overlap whatsoever. But I'm assuming I'm floored. I had a couple in my also rands that were mentioned. I had Dexter's lab. In mine as yeah. well. Um, but honestly, I think that's the only one. Yeah. Gargoyles was the only one for me. Oh, wow. That was on my extended list. I was almost one of them, but I was like, Rob's going to choose that. Let me find an alternative. <laughs> yeah. uh, Greg, what else did you have kind of in there? So I, I kind of mentioned him. Uh, I, had, I did have South Park Family Guy mm -hmm. Simpsons on there just for length in terms of, you know, uh, how long they've been on. I did have Doug on there at one point. That was a little bit of an overlap, but then I just kind of took it off because I don't remember enough about it. And I watched a couple episodes and I was like, I'm just kind of bored mm. now. Like now that I'm not going through these issues myself, I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then most of them were actually, it's embarrassing because they were like 2000 and 2001 and I just misremembered. And I was like, damn it. Yeah, that happened to me a few times. Yeah, yeah. that was that was just the worst. But like Family Guy, I think was almost really almost number one just for its struggle that it went mm. through because it got canceled after a season oh, or yeah. two on fox and then it was on cartoon network adult swim and that's what brought it back with its popularity and now it's still Which going nuts, it's ridiculous yeah. yeah yeah rescue rangers was on there but i don't remember a lot of it i don't remember enough about the episodes for me to be able to even talk somewhat intelligently okay. about mm -hmm. it Rescue Rangers, I remember the NES game more than the actual show. The, the Nintendo games based on the Disney afternoon cartoons were so good. Like Rescue Rangers was good. Yeah. Darkwing Duck was mm -hmm. good. Tailspin was not mm -hmm. as good, but not bad. It was not a bad one. Yeah. I, yeah. I never played Tailspin. Rescue Rangers, my brother and I used to fight about all the time because you can play yeah. two player. And one of the mechanics is picking things up and you can pick up the other player. So when one of us <laughs> would get aggravated <laughs> with the other, you just pick them up and throw them yep. off the level. And that was it. Yeah. Great game. Yeah. Acorn, what else did you have? I so that's that's pretty much my my list of non IP based okay. things. But when I first made my list, just as things came to mind, I did have a couple that I really wanted to include. And then when I went to go research, I was like, oh, I didn't know it was based on a book series, which is interesting to find out sometimes. Yeah. 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 yeah like one of my big ones was Arthur. Oh, yeah. Arthur was a, a favorite of mine because it was on mm -hmm. PBS and I watched it all the time. But I didn't know it was based on a book series. Yeah. And then also uh, the Magic School Bus. Mm -hmm based on a book series. 
and Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego was based on a computer game. Oh, I thought it was yeah. the other way around, that a computer game was based on the show. Well, if you want to talk about existing IP things, it was all of the superhero stuff. And then I was like, oh, what about anime? And then I forgot pretty much every single anime is, is based off of a manga. So I was like, damn it. Yeah. I, think, I was talking to Rob also. about it. And he was like, that was a book. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I actually had a long also list, but I'm a little older than the both of you. So uh, <laughs> I was exposed to yeah. more stuff. Um, a show called Bionic Six, which was a family of hmm. people that were cybernetically enhanced. Uh, they could like activate their bionics and they and it was it was a diverse family, too, because they were like almost all adopted kids. So um, they had they had a couple white kids, they had a black kid, they had an Asian kid. And like it, it was an hmm. early good example of diversity. Uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe is one I had on there, yep. of course. I'm, I'm I was just going to say, I'm surprised you didn't have that on oh, your it's, list. It doesn't stand up. It's not a good show. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. It was when I was little. It was like one of the early things that kind of got me into the idea of superheroes kind of in a way. But if you yeah. go back to it now, it's absolute trash. It has some good ideas. It has good characters. There's an interesting world there, but it's, it's kind of a garbage show. Uh, Mask mm. was kind of in the same... I mean, area, oh, yeah. uh, and that's an acronym for people that may not know. It's not, it's not Jim Carrey's The no, Mask, no. which also had an animated property. Okay. It's M- that was a- on WB, right? Yeah. M-A-S-K. Exactly. Um, Mask yeah. was about like a team of people that had vehicles that would transform into other things. So like one of the yeah. ones that I always remember, someone had a motorcycle where like rotors would come up on the sides and form a helicopter rotor at the top so we could then fly a lot of these are things that came out in line with their toys like transformers and gi joe basically just as a way to sell the toys a lot of it worked on me but um yeah uh, bobby's world is another one that i really love i forgot about that aired for eight years i couldn't believe it went that long not only did i love it that was created by howie mandel i thought it was a super imaginative and creative show but uh, as a kid that went by the name Bobby, I was like doubly attached to it because I was like, that's my name, too. And I knew nobody else that had my name. So that was exciting oh. for me. Um, like I said, yeah. Dexter's Lab, I had Captain Planet and the Planeteers is a show that I watched a lot of. Oh, uh, I did Planet. have one. I had one Nickelodeon show on my list that I don't know if you know, Acorn, uh, a show called uh-huh. Kablam. Oh, oh I, I love remember Kablam. Kablam. I loved Action so League good. Now. Oh yep, my god! Yeah. Kablam that was my was, favorite yep, part. Kablam was a fun, fun show. Meltman was like the highlight for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was an anime that I had called Ronin Warriors, yep. which uh, aired in the U.S. a little later on. I but... remember that. Yeah, I have. A, I yeah. had a toy. I probably stole my parents' house yeah. for that. I had the eye patch guy. I think his name was Sid. I don't even remember. I, I, I don't think that was based on a manga either. Which I think that was a pre- that was created for uh, yeah. the show itself. I want to say. I want to say I watched or tried to watch Ronin Warriors a few years ago, and it was too painful. I don't think it aged well either. It's not as like good, man. no. No, I don't think there's a yeah. ton of it either. It, it aired for a year, and I, I, I would guess there's probably under 30 episodes. It's probably yeah. not a super long run. Uh, Home Movies, which did technically air in 1999 or premiere in 1999, uh, it was mm. very close to making my list. And then two that I kind of didn't, allow myself to put on even though they're not as good as my top five because they did kind of have pre-existing ip in a weird way uh there was a show called king arthur and the knights of justice i remember that one Mm. a bunch of jocks uh get in a bus accident wake up and they're king arthur and king arthur's court 
Oh my I mean, gosh. I don't know yeah. if the show is that good uh, to compete. I don't think it would compete with my top five anyway, but I kind of no, disqualified no. it just because the the King Arthur myth is a pre-existing. Yeah. I, I, I probably could have gotten away with it. You probably could have been fine. Yeah. Um, and then the last one was definitely a pre-existing IP, but as a toy. Uh, and that was the Mighty Max cartoon. I had that on my oh, list, yeah. which was that was really close. It was an, that cartoon had no right to be as good as it was. Yes. Based yes. on these Virgil Norman little toys that <laughs> based on Polly Pocket for boys. Yes. <laughs> That's what it was. And then that was whoever, whoever envisioned that show with like Max having a hat that could traverse dimensions and planets and like the, yeah. his 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 buddies that went along with him and everything. I remember that show being insanely well written. And I was, the whole time I was just like, mm-hmm. this is based on garbage, <laughs> but it's so good. And wasn't, yes. oh God, who's the voice of Max? I don't recall. I feel like it was some, I'm going to look it up really quick right now. Yeah, it, I, I knew it. it was Rob Paulson. Oh, no way. It was the voice of Max. Of course. Well, yeah, yeah oh. every show is Rob Paulson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair. I probably just said that. For those anything. who don't know, Rob Paulson is also the original Donatello from uh, Teenage. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. No, he's the original Raphael from Teenage Ninja Turtles. He was Donatello in TMNT, uh, the CG yep. version. He's also Pinky. Uh, he's Yakko mm-hmm. Warner. He is Rob, mm-hmm. Rob Paulson's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Another one that I should should have been on at least a mention that I was talking about earlier, but Bill and Ted had a cartoon. They did. I remember. And I have the toys for it, too. They were really cool. They had um like rocking out action, essentially. So instead of Kung Fu action, you just press on one of their legs or maybe it was their back and they just like strummed the air. Guitar. I had the uh, I don't know what this came on, but it was a serial. I don't know if it was a Bill and Ted serial. The phone booth. They did have a serial. The phone, plastic phone booth that would open yep, up. I had that, was that, it a bank? That was a serial. That was, I don't I, I felt like everything a was a I bank. Literally, yeah, I just used it as like a little storage yeah. bin. I literally shoved Bill and Ted in there. It would just fly around <laughs> the living room with it. I probably kept like a rock collection in there or something stupid. <laughs> um, but that's all I have on there. That was that was a really good list. A lot of good memories there. Yeah. Final thoughts or something you would like to plug on our way out of here, Booster Greg? Uh, final thoughts. There are way more cartoons that I'm, <laughs> I thought were pre 2000 that are actually post 2000. So that's going to be an exciting list and much more difficult, uh, things I want to plug first and foremost, I want to plug our little podcast that we have on the geek generation network. What's that called? By the way, it's called avatar, the podcast. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just been so much fun to kind of go through all of these episodes again. I haven't watched the show in a very long time, so it's almost brand new for me. Mm-hmm. It's an exciting. It's a great show. We have a lot of fun. Acorn and I just go through episode by episode and we find out all of the ins and outs that we could possibly think of. I like to hypothesize a lot about things in there. Oh, there's also Adapt This, a DC Animated Universe podcast, which is on a hiatus. I do have episodes that I'm currently editing. Uh, I think I have like five or six, and that's going to be the final five or six. I think I'm going to officially state it. That makes just not sense. enough hours in the day, mm-hmm. not enough movies. And it seems like they're just going away from adapting from current things and just making newish yeah. stuff. So that's going to be that. Also, you can find me on Twitch over twitch.tv forward slash booster Greg. I stream live on Friday and Monday. That's a weird way to say that. Monday and Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or if you'd like to go backwards in time, Friday and Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> so that's All me. right. Acorn. Yes, I'm Acorn Bandit. 
I used to be a streamer, so now you can find me on social media at Acorn Bandit. I also make enamel pins and recently released an oppa pin for the podcast. It's so cute. It's so good. It's so cute. And Greg and I have some giveaway plans that we're currently planning. So by the time this comes out, that might be announced. So head over to at Podcast Avatar on Twitter to find out more about that. Um, if you want to check out the rest of my pins, you can find them on Etsy at Joyson Studio or on my website, which is joysons.com, which is J-O-I-S-A-N-S. Glad you spelled it because I would have asked you to do so otherwise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Geek Generation is part of the Geek Generation Network. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com, including Avatar, the podcast. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read it on an upcoming episode. Watch our live events at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration and continue the conversation with us on our Discord server at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. You can support this show and get access to exclusive bonus content by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can send emails to podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com and as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. We'll be back soon with more geeky stuff for you, and we'll see you then. Later. Make it so.